This is Ted Brankett again with Pim Currents, and we're going to be talking about dental trauma today. Now, I've found that dental care and even the basics of teeth is not a topic that many rotating through the ED have a decent, much less good grasp on. So the goal here today isn't to make any of us into dentists, since that would be kind of depressing, but more to understand what injuries we can deal with ourselves in the PDD, what needs dental follow-up, and what requires emergent dental care. Now, a great resource to use in the ED is a website called dentaltraumaguide.org. It's got good diagrams and pictures of injuries, as well as diagnosis and treatment recommendations. And all of that is put together by the International Association of Dental Traumatology. So you can check it out now, or when you're in the ED and you can't quite remember some of the info I'm giving you on today's podcast. So we'll start things off with a case. You got an anxious mom who brings in her five-year-old son who just recently tripped at home, knocking out his front tooth. And mom has the tooth, root and all, in her hand. Now this kid has his first preschool pictures next week and she needs him looking right. On exam, you notice some swelling to the upper lip and an empty socket in the upper gum where the right of the two middle incisors used to be without any further gingival injury. The left central incisor is also slightly twisted in its socket but otherwise seems stable. No other signs of trauma and the child is in no distress, but we can't say the same for the mom. So what do we do? Is this a primary or permanent tooth? Does it matter? How can we manage this without just calling dental every time? These are all things we're going to tackle. So first, for some basics, we have humans have, we as humans have a total of 20 primary or baby teeth, with the first one usually popping up around eight months of age. And it's usually a mandibular central incisor. Those are eventually replaced with a total of 32 permanent teeth, which start appearing at about six to six and a half years. And girls are a little earlier than boys, and there's no surprise there. That's pretty much how it always works. Now, while we can often describe teeth based on position, for example, a central or lateral incisor, mandibular versus maxillary, those descriptions get a little hairier when we start talking about premolars, second molars, etc. So lucky for us dumb non-dentists, there's a system in place we can describe a tooth, know exactly what one we're referring to. That system identifies primary teeth by letters, and with 20 primary teeth, that's letters A to T, and permanent teeth by numbers, so 1 to 32. So where do we start that numbering or lettering process, you ask? Well, it's easiest for me to think of in terms of letters. And when you're looking at the patient, look, just see the alphabet going across their face from left to right, like we would read. And it starts with the maxillary teeth. So tooth A is the farthest back upper molar on the patient's right. That continues across the upper teeth to tooth J, the last upper tooth, and drops directly down to K on the patient's left and continues back across the lower teeth to tooth T, the lower back right on the patient. So that primary right maxillary central incisor is really tooth E. It's a lot easier to document just a single letter in your chart also. And so whether it's one of 20 or it's the only tooth in the mouth, I think that's referred to as the redneck rule, it's always letter E. Now keeping with a common language allows us to convey our information more accurately to consultants and at least helps us look like maybe we know what we're talking about. Maybe. So now let's talk about the injuries we see when these teeth strike coffee tables, floors, or the heads of other kids. First, we'll touch on the, the description of the injuries themselves and then delve into the difference in approach between primary and permanent teeth, as well as dental follow-up. The main injuries we're gonna, 
are going to be dental fractures or Ellis fractures, avulsion, concussion, subluxation, intrusion, and lateral luxation. Here's the basics on what those terms mean. If you remember back to your tooth anatomy, there are three layers of tissue, the outside enamel, the underlying dentin, and the central pulp. Now fractures are classified by the deepest involved layer, and that's determined by what you see on your physical exam. So the enamel should have a white appearance, and that's certainly variable in our country's population, whereas the dentin will appear yellow, and any sign of red or blood at the tooth, like where that fracture occurred, represents pulp. The deeper the fracture, the higher rate of complication, including loss of tooth or risk of infection. An avulsion injury is complete loss of the tooth, root and all. Subluxation occurs when there's injury to the supportive structures of the tooth, like the periodontal ligament, resulting in increased mobility, but no displacement, essentially a loose tooth. Intrusion is the displacement of the tooth into the alveolar bone, or those that appear pushed up into the gum. And this is accompanied by comminution or fracture of the alveolar socket. Lateral luxation is displacement in any other direction other than axially. So the tooth is pushed forward or back or to one side or another. This too is accompanied by fracture or comminution of either the labial or palatal alveolar bone. And the final injury we'll discuss is a concussion. This is when there's been an injury to the supporting structures, but there's no increase in mobility or displacement. And these are painful to percussion on exam, but they'll otherwise look okay, while the remainder of the injuries can be diagnosed with simple visualization. So now let's talk about the approach to these injuries. For pretty much all dental injury, a couple of recommendations are going to be commonplace. And that's that they need a soft diet for the next week or so, using a soft brush after each meal, and the use of Paradex or chlorhexidine rinse, twice daily for, this, for about the same time period. This is because good healing of the area depends on good oral hygiene, hygiene to prevent plaque and debris accumulation. So those should be in your discharge instructions for practically all dental trauma patients. Now back to the injuries themselves. The most important to discuss is, is an avulsion, as a permanent tooth avulsion is one of the few real emergencies in dentistry. A complete avulsion of a primary tooth does not require reimplantation. There's poor prognosis and you can damage the underlying permanent tooth by attempting reimplantation. So just know it's not recommended and leave it at that. If little Susie loses that tooth at two years old, parents will just have to deal with some gap tooth pictures for a few years. Now the avulsion of a permanent tooth is another story. Reimplantation of those teeth should occur as early as possible as prognosis for tooth survival ranges from 85 to 97% at five minutes after the injury and declines to near 0% at one hour. Over this time, you get necrosis of the periodontal ligament, and that's what accounts for your lack of survival. So what to do if you're at your child's soccer game and a player loses a permanent tooth? Well, first, find the tooth and hold it only by the crown, the white part for us non-dentists. Rinse any debris off under cold water for about 10 seconds and push that baby back up into the socket. You sound insane. Do you realize that? To keep it in place, have the child bite down on some gauze or a napkin or a clean towel or a handkerchief, if anyone uses those anymore, until they can get to a dentist. If no one's willing to attempt reimplantation at the scene, the tooth should be stored in a tooth saver solution until they can get to the dentist or the ED. And these are available online, and often athletic trainers have a canister as part of their supplies. They've been shown when used to increase the likelihood of survival of the periodontal ligament. And if such a solution is not available, you got some other choices, including milk, and cold is better, saline, or the, even the patient's own saliva. 
Now it's been described to have the patient put the tooth between their molars and their cheek, but if you've got a young patient and you worry they might actually swallow the tooth, don't try that method. Basically, you don't want the tooth to dry out, and you want to avoid water as a solution if possible, because its low osmolality results in almost immediate rupture of essential cells. So if you're on the receiving end of this patient, and it's now been greater than 60 minutes since the injury, that does not mean that there's no benefit of reimplantation. In these cases, you can still reimplant the tooth as it provides some aesthetic, functional, and psychological benefit. However, the long-term prognosis of that tooth is very poor. In all cases of avulsion, once it's reimplanted, re consult the service at your institution who ma manages dental trauma, whether it's dental or OMFS, as these patients need a splint applied. Permanent tooth avulsion is the primary indication in dental trauma for systemic antibiotics. So these kids go home with either doxy for older children or older adolescents, I should say, and that's the first line. But in younger children, penicillin V is also an option. And if the tooth has been in contact with soil or there's a potential for a dirty wound, update that tet tetanus status. So now to subluxation of the loose tooth. These often do not require any treatment in the ED. In primary teeth, there's an indication for extraction at that time if there's severe mobility of the tooth and thus a concern for possible aspiration of the tooth. So if you think that tooth is so loose it's about to come out and the kid might aspirate it, then taking it out in the ED is, is indicated. If this is not a concern, the child can be discharged to follow up with their dentist in about a week. In the case of a severe subluxation of a permanent tooth, a flexible splint can be applied by a dentist for patient comfort and stabilization. Mild sub subluxation, again, can be observed as an outpatient with close follow-up with their dentist. Now, whether permanent or primary teeth, dental concussions do not require emergent dental consultation. These patients can be followed as an outpatient and should be referred in one week if it's a primary tooth versus about four weeks if it's a permanent tooth. Intrusions rarely require emergent dental management either. They're managed by either allowing spontaneous eruption or performing surgical or orthodontic repositioning. Now, which option is best depends on the root development, the age, and the degree of intrusion. And those are all things that are evaluated by a dentist in their office a couple of days after you get them out of your ED. The management of lateral luxations can vary depending on the severity. If the tooth is primary and appears unstable with a concern for aspiration, immediate dental evaluation is recommended. And with these injuries, there's typically blood caught organization within six to eight hours, and that makes it more difficult to digitally reposition the tooth the following day. So in those cases, dental management sooner rather than later is preferred, especially in the case of permanent teeth. And finally, with fractures. For the most part, these can be managed even days after the injury. Prompt dental care should be sought, however, to reduce the possibility of complication, including infection. If the fractured fragment is available, it can be bonded into place and should be kept hydrated in water until that time, as discoloration can occur with desiccation. If a complicated fracture exists, in other words, there is pulp exposure, you should discuss it with the dental service for best management. So the quick and dirty review, we have 20 primary teeth that are lettered, A through T, 32 permanent teeth that are numbered. Your injuries can include a concussion, which is an injury to supporting ligaments but no visible uh, damage or mo increased mobility. You can have a avulsion, loss of tooth, subluxation, loose tooth, lateral luxation, a tooth that's knocked back or forwards or sideways, intrusion, it's knocked up into the gum. 
All teeth uh, essentially should be managed with good hygiene, meaning Paradex rinses a couple of times a day, brushing with a soft brush after every meal, and using a soft diet for the next week. Avulsions of primary teeth should not be reimplanted. Permanent teeth definitely should, especially within the first 60 minutes, and it should be covered with systemic antibiotics as well as potentially tetanus. Those patients do need emergent dental care. Concussions do not need any emergent dental care. They just need follow-up as an outpatient. Um, similar for many intrusions, mild subluxations or loose teeth can be followed as an outpatient, whereas more severe, if there's a concern for aspiration, should be evaluated in the ED. Lateral luxations should be evaluated emergently if there's concern for instability and risk of aspiration. Otherwise, they should be uh, evaluated promptly due to early blood clot organization and difficulty with procedure if uh, delayed treatment is sought. So that's it for some basic dental trauma. In each case above, the management strategy was assuming an isolated injury. And as the extent of dental trauma increases, the need for emergent management increases as well. Additionally, discussions with your local emergent dental service is never a bad idea. And hopefully with this talk, you can accurately diagnose and describe the injuries you're seeing to them so you can create the best management plan for your patient. That's it for this episode. Let us know how you like the podcast on our website, pemcincinnati.com slash podcasts. Download us on iTunes. Subscribe to us on iTunes. Let us know what we can do to improve and what topics you'd like to hear. Thanks for listening. Until next time.